This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I am your host for this week's episode, Paul J. Slee. I'm filling in for Mike Rappin, who is on a uh, an amazing backpacking adventure through the Savage Land. So stay safe, Mike. <laughs> He'll be back soon to fill us in on all that. So, uh, But of course, I'm not alone. I enlisted two half-inflated beach balls rolling down a deserted <laughs> island beach. Uh, Kate Lamphere. Hello. And Kate Scotchless. Hello. Uh, welcome, Kate. Uh, it's good to have you on the show. I, I swear we'll figure something out to make sure listeners know who's uh, which Kate I'm referring to. But uh, which you beach know, ball? I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, we are here to talk about comics we've read. Um, yeah, we might go a little deep into some stuff we've read recently, but kind of just a free flowing conversation for this week's episode. Uh, I'm excited to do that because I've read some really interesting stuff. Um, but of course. As the guest host, I am obligated by the Galactic Podcast Charter to ask two questions of my guests. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with Kate Lamphere. <laughs> I've been good. Um, it's been really hot up here in Michigan for the last couple of days, which I do not oh, yeah. love. But um, I have been <laughs> growing some vegetables and my tomatoes and zucchinis do love it. So at least I'm getting some like quote unquote free vegetables out of this insane heat. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have most recently read My Brother's Husband, Volumes 1 and 2, which is the complete series. There's only two uh, collected volumes. And this is by okay. Tengora Tagame. This is a manga. Um, and as a, as a quick summary, um, there's a character named Yaichi, who is a single father raising his young daughter, daughter Kana. I think she's like five they get a visitor from Canada who is Mike, who is the husband of Yaichi's twin brother who recently died and who Yaichi hasn't spoken to in like multiple years. Like they just kind of like quietly fell out. Um, and the story is from his point of view. And like he's at first uncomfortable um, with a gay man at home, but quickly starts to like confront all of these negative assumptions that his society has told him to believe. And mm -hmm. um, and then Mike and Yaichi learn about um, Yaichi's brother more from one another, like adulthood versus childhood. Um, but then like I'm kind of making this sound sad, but it's actually a very happy, wholesome story because throughout all of this, you have Kana, who is like a a very like active, excited, happy girl, and she like loves Mike immediately, which is one of the things that makes Yaichi go, hang on, like maybe this guy's not so bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the story details and like confronts the social difficulties of being gay in Japan, which it's still uh behind America, at least um in terms of progressiveness in that way. Um yeah. and yeah. While Yaichi is like thoughtful and re reflects on his own assumptions, there are like some some adults in his community who are not that way, and he has to like figure out how to respond. And like throughout the series, he responds in different ways. And like by the by the last time we see him respond to somebody like that, it was like really well done. Like like good okay. job, good job, Yaichi. And <laughs> um. <laughs> And uh, I really like in terms of like a, a, a piece of, of like comic art, I really like the way that, that pe the people are drawn in this manga, because so often in manga, you've got these like big eyes and like out of proportion, like really skinny people or like the hair is mm -hmm. wild. Um, but this manga, it's actually like 
pretty realistic. I mean, like it's still comic art, but it's like the yeah. proportions are more correct. And I really appreciate how like, especially the character of Mike is portrayed. Like he's like a, just like a big American man. Like he's like tall and he's like muscular and everything without being. <laughs> mm-hmm. no I like that. Just big a big American guy. man. Yeah. I mean, um, he looks like an American dad. I don't know. Like he's sure. just a... <laughs> He's just a regular guy. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, especially because like this is like this is a Japanese manga and like nothing is like out of proportion again. Like um, like he's just a he's just kind of a muscular, uh, hardworking, hairy. <laughs> okay. <Canadian> uh, man. <laughs> I've been on TikTok too long. And as soon as you're like, he's just a guy. I'm like, yeah. what with your car? but yes um so realistic body types uh i really liked just the way that these characters are portrayed and how like reflective uh yaichi is and everything um but Mm -hmm. there's also like this really small part of it that i that i could have easily missed which is um when mike talks about like the aspects of japanese culture um and like how he finds like the food like when he and his husband would go out to eat or like when his husband was trying to like introduce him to japanese cuisine like that exists in canada like you can get those things but they're all like Mm -hmm. slightly different or like they put different toppings on like their sushi um and things like that or like they, they use different kinds of fish um so just like this kind of like Yes, Japanese culture is available across the ocean, but like there are these small differences and like the comic kind of addresses those. And that was like, mm-hmm. as a person who likes to occasionally try food from different places, it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, it's not actually like the real, the real deal. I've got to just go to Japan and get some sushi. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so My Brother's Husband, Volume 1 and 2, um, really enjoyed it. That sounds interesting. Like, yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm slowly trying to open my horizons to manga but sort of a slice of life manga like this kind of sounds more appealing than uh you know some more off the wall stuff i've heard talked about on the show so mm-hmm. uh what about you kate scotchless uh what did you read this week do you want to talk about i did something wild and crazy <laughs> i checked out for my library a dc book uh, mm. called strange adventures a little title you may not have heard of um <laughs> yeah it was written now? by tom king uh illustrated by mitch gerard's um and doc shaner and lettering by clayton cowles mm-hmm. oh my gosh this book was so good <laughs> was i confused enough to have to message the ircb team and be like who is this guy here's a picture so that i could do some wikipediaing yes but it was all worth it um so this book is about adam strange a character i knew nothing about before this coming to terms with his actions during the war on ron uh where mm-hmm. Was he heroic? Were his actions actually more disgraceful? Um, He has come back and been celebrated and has a book come out, but then there's questions and controversy, and he ends up asking um, Batman to investigate him to basically prove him the hero he believes himself to be. But then um, Batman hands this off to Mr. Terrific, another person I had never heard of, uh, (laughs) (laughs) who then goes about this and finds out that it's actually not that black and white because war is messy and ethics aren't uh, as easy as one would hope, uh, especially when it comes to warfare. And so this is another book of Tom King's talking about the complexity and gray areas of war, which I have yet to find a book of his and this theme that I don't love. Um, He does it so well and so... um, 
it, it's just very thoughtful and contemplative and interesting in that way. And mm-hmm. um, I had the ultimate reading hangover when I finished this book because it, it's just <laughs> so good. It's a maxi series. So like when you're done, you're done. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. It's, uh, but the art is gorgeous and the writing is perfect. And I cannot recommend this one enough to even the non-DC fans out there, because I'm not a DC girl. <laughs> right. And I, I think what's really interesting to me is like Tom King's able to do stories that have some like pretty deep, you know, uh, obscure DC characters and make them appeal yeah. to like any type of reader. Like you don't need to know much about Mr. Terrific. He gives you enough to understand like he's basically the smartest person on earth. Right. That's all I yeah. kind of need to know. And even Batman trusts him, which is, you know, kind of important. So and I I love the way that this book used the two different artists. You know, you get all the flashbacks on Ron are done by Evan Shaner, whose work is like very clean, you know, sort of like a Silver Age influence to a lot of it. And then like you get the Mitch Garrods, which is like the more contemporary part of the story. It's a little bit blurry. It's out of focus. It's a little dirty. Like the the way you're able to use those two art styles narratively is really fascinating to me. I thank you for bringing that up. I should have mentioned that. Yes, that is such such a well done part of the art of this book is how they use that to depict past and present um, really, really seamlessly. So it's easy to follow without having to be kind of continually pointed out by the creator. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. You're making me want to go back and reread it because I was reading it as it was coming out. And of course, reading books like this month to month can be a little... It's a very different experience than reading it in one sitting. So I'd, you should. I'd be very you curious absolutely to read should. it. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I will. So, <laughs> um, as for me, I know as as uh, Kate mentioned earlier, uh, the weather here in Michigan has been incredibly hot. West Michigan Weather, weather Watch. We had ninety degree days last week. Uh, yeah. uh, I made it to the beach, which was very nice. The thing is, it could be ninety degrees. Uh, Lake Michigan is still about fifty, so I made it about yeah. up to my shins and said, "That's enough," and it got right out. <laughs> yep. So. <laughs> Um, I try to make the most of, you know, these, these Michigan summers when I can though. So I, I was glad to get out there. As for comics, I read something really interesting. I picked up, uh, from Fantagraphics when they're having their big sale recently. Uh, it's a book ephemera, uh, written by, written and illustrated by Brianna Lowenson. And this is her debut graphic novel. It's published by Fantagraphics, as I said earlier this year, and it's billed as a memoir. So it's, you know, it's autobiographical, but it's, what's really interesting. And I don't know how to talk about it because it's a book that kind of like, kind of defies explanation in a way. It's basically a memoir where Lowenson, who I'm assuming is kind of like the main character, they're remembering their childhood and all of their memories about their mother. The thing is their mother was absent, either emotionally or physically, throughout most of their childhood. So how do you tell a memoir or a story about someone who's not there? And that's what kind of makes the book really interesting. And like, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's very sparse. The story's, you know, simple and you kind of piece it together yourself. But What's beautiful is the way Lowenson uses the artwork to kind of do that and to kind of illustrate the difference between a memory that the character's having and then the real life that she's, you know, in right now as she's being, these memories are being triggered by her going back to her mother's house. I want to say that, you know, even though the story is not explicit about what their mother was dealing with, because, you know, the mother is like absent, she disappears for long periods of time. She's clearly like emotionally distant, dealing with depression. I read it that she had like an illness that I read as cancer. So I want to put that as a possible trigger warning or content warning, um, but it's not explicit in the story. It can be interpreted different ways, I think. But I think that's what makes the story really work is you putting it together, the memories together as the character, the memoir is about is remembering it. And there's a whole scene where 
Lowenson's you know main character goes back to an abandoned uh, greenhouse that their mother worked in or you know spent time in, and she's slowly bringing these plants back to life. And there's periods of the story where it's just her explaining, well, these flowers need sunshine, but these flowers don't. These flowers need a lot of water. And it's almost making a metaphor and analogy between nurturing plants and motherhood or father or parenthood. It's really beautifully done. And what stands out and makes the book really more uh, sort of like engaging is the artwork because Lowenson's artwork, very like thin and elegant line work for all the characters and the foregrounds. But the backgrounds are all done in this like uh, watercolor type styles, and it's very subtle watercolor, using a very um, muted color palette early on, muted grays and blues, and then as the story fills in, we get more of Lowenson as an adult now reflecting back. It becomes more red and orange, and sort of using the color to explain where they are in time, where they are in their her memory, and you know her relationship to her mother. So. Again, it's a book that I, I can say all this, but you kind of have to just see it to make it work because it's, you know, again, there's there's a story there, but it is told very poetically and quietly throughout the book. It's really beautiful. I'm glad I picked it up. And I think it's a debut graphic novel and it's a very distinct voice, a very different kind of art style than I usually read or see in comics. And yeah, I'm really curious to see what Lowenson does after this. So definitely one of the best books I've read so far this year that's come out. Highly recommend Ephemera by Brianna Lowenson. Sounds really good. Yeah, if you get a chance to look up the artwork, I mean, again, it's just it's such a lovely book. Even just to pick up and flip through it, you know, after I read it, I just like I spent time just going over each page, kind of like admiring the the artwork and style. So, with uh, getting into gardening, I've also been reading more books, like ecology books. Somehow, okay. um, yeah, did not expect <laughs> to get into that uh, genre <laughs> um, ever. Fair but enough. yeah, like even just looking at the cover of this, it looks very kind of like nature centered. Yeah, um, yeah, the lo- lovely the greenhouse. Book, so. So. Highly recommended. Anything else you've been reading, uh, Kate uh, Lamphere? I have been reading um, How to Understand Israel in 30 Days or Less by Sarah Glidden. I'm not done with this, so I feel like maybe <laughs> I shouldn't be like, um, this is what I read this week. But right. um, I want to, like, I'm only halfway through it maybe, and uh, I, I already feel like I need to talk about this. And, like, I'm taking my time with this book since it's kind of like it's a mix of a travelogue and like this like self-reflective journey by the creator. But it's also like this extensive history lesson in in the history and of of, like the people of like Israel and Palestine and that whole region. Um, And Mm -hmm. it is complex. There's a lot uh, of history to that area, which I which I kind of knew going in. Like I knew that it was kind (laughs) of. like this you know, right. can't really avoid knowing about this right. <laughs> but but like i, I was, like there's conflict yeah, what crazy um, <laughs> this is the first i'm hearing of it no um, <laughs> kidding. um but like i but i haven't really like researched on my own or like really read um a a journey like this um like a first person narrative at all i just kind of like see what's on the news um mm-hmm. And I feel like the cre- the creator's intention of going on this trip to, to Israel seemed to be to determine like which side of the Israel versus Palestine conflict was like, quote unquote, correct. But then like everything right. that she learns is just like, oh, this is like just a huge gray area and everyone who lives here has their own story. And it like it makes one side or the other look better or worse or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> roughly equal or like she's got all these different experiences she talks to all these people different people um and it's like it's just a difficult issue all all around really and i'm i'm just learning so much from reading this book and like 
seeing Glidden's thoughts on all of this is is like an, another step of like me like learning about this and like like um it's giving me like insight about this issue i guess especially because like she's she has like heritage ties to the area like her family was originally from there like way back when okay so she's come she's coming at this from like this american point of view like she she's only ever lived in america herself but um you know she's got this extra attachment to the to the location that she's going in with and she's got a lot of thoughts about it and um it's taken a while to read like i don't want to rush through this so that's uh, yeah. that's how to understand Israel in sixty day, in thirty days or less, but it might yeah, take I mean, me sixty read... to read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I read another book by Sarah Glidden, uh, the uh, Rolling Blackouts book, which is about the refugee crisis in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, and like that book is really about journalism and how journalists can cover that objectively, if that's even possible. And I think yeah. Glidden brings a sort of journalistic approach to everything that she does, and like so, a book like this makes sense to be very dense and complex. Yeah. But trying to explain it that way, I, I think she's a really fantastic cartoonist. But yeah, those books are heavy because there's so much information yeah. in them. This one really isn't even that long by like by page count. I feel like mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it was her, one of her books or or another book about a conflict like this. Um, but uh, or a conflict in the world rather. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, this one. I mean, just by page count, it's not that long. But there's a lot of information on every page, so I'm taking my time. Nice, nice. I'll have to read that. Yeah, like I said, I read her other book, Rolling Blackouts, and loved it. So this has been on my list for a while. So I'll have to pick it up. Um, all right, uh, Kate Scotchless, anything else you want to mention uh, that you've read recently? Just a quick shout out to Lo and Behold from Wendy Mass uh, with art by Ga- Gabby Mendez. So this is a new middle grade OGN um, that came out like last month. Um, I'm pretty sure I beat all the other children uh, to the library holds list when this was pr- like pre-released um, okay. so that I got it first for my library before they got their grubby little hands on it because um, <laughs> I was excited. So um, like all the points for having a middle grade graphic novel about a girl in STEM, obviously a thing I care a lot about. I just got uh, did a whole like a hybrid model conference on promoting diversity in STEM and stuff like that. But um, so it's a pet project, but this is Mm -hmm. uh, following a 12 year old girl whose father is a um, computer science researcher and he's going to, she, he goes with her to another university for the summer where he's going to work with a a couple grad students on virtual reality research and is really jazzed, but he becomes very much the absent figure like parent he's like too obsessed with his work and so she's left with a lot of free time and makes friends with again more kuda points um a little boy uh who's a person of color which again you don't see that much of in these like very stem forward books who's also super into computer stuff and the two of them essentially learn about artificial reality um and start to learn how it can from these grad students how it can make people see the world in new ways and how it can help humanity um, obviously sure. wendy masses has a very uh enthusiastic uh, approach to ar and what it can do and like sees it as a very good thing um there's definitely no complexity in how it's presented here but this <laughs> okay. is a book targeted to like the eight to twelve year old <laughs> crowd Right, okay. And then they yeah. go on to come up with ways of their own that they want to use this to help others and their other kids in their community. 
and kind of come up with a project and the grad students help them put it together. And it's it's a lot of fun and very sweet and all about using computer science for good. And it it pulled all my uh, heartstrings and pushed the the right buttons for me. Um, I it's one of those books that I was just like, can we just pass this out to all the little <laughs> children of of a certain age? Sure. Content warnings for parent substance abuse and childhood cancer, but like the yep. lightest of content warnings because they're presented in a very appropriate way for eight year olds. Okay. So yeah. it, we are not talking gory detail or any. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's le- the lightest of touching on those subjects. Gotcha. So the it's a very nice, clean artwork by Gabby Mendez that I want to say doesn't really add to the story so much, but it it is a credit to the artist that it the art doesn't take away from a story when you're talking about virtual reality, because that okay. is so hard to d- depict in 2D art and right. make it feel like, oh, yeah, your characters are entering this really cool alternate dimension 3D world when they put on their headsets. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that they they did a good job. Um, again, that's Lo and Behold by Wendy Mass and Gabby Mendez. Yeah, and get to your library before the kids find it. So, that's right. right. That's <laughs> right. First. Oh, that sounds great. Um, as for me, I finally sat down and read the new issue of Love and Rockets. That's Love and Rockets number 13, volume four of this book, uh, of course, by Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez. And uh, if you haven't listened yet, Go check out the episode I did with uh, our friend Zach at the Comics That We Love podcast. Me and him did a whole episode about Jaime Hernandez's Love and Rocket stories. It's a great conversation. So if you want to hear me talk even more about one of my favorite comics, head over there and check that out. So it's actually kind of fun to go back and reread a bunch of that stuff for that podcast. So I read a bunch of the older Maggie stories about Maggie that Jaime Hernandez did over the years. And to finally get the new issue. And again, one thing I really that makes Love and Rockets my favorite comic is the fact that if you read the earliest story, Maggie, the main character, is presented to be like 17 or 18 years old. The story progresses in real time. So 40 years later, here she is almost 50, almost 60 years old, um, but it's still the same character. You know, you've gone through everything with her. You've seen her grow and change. Uh, in this issue, there's a moment when she goes to like the hairstylist and she's got longer hair than usual. So they cut it short. And it's like, well, that's I've done that look before. Let's go even shorter. So it's a new haircut for Maggie. Feels like a big change. So little details like that remind you just how long you've been reading these characters and how involved with their lives are you are if you read all this stuff. Um, it's a fun little story. You know, her her partner, Ray, is out of town. So Maggie kind of spends a day hiking with some teenagers that were art students of Ray's because he's an art teacher. And what's interesting is almost like Jaime is kind of shifting the story to these younger characters. And like Maggie's almost like a maternal figure to them since her and Ray don't have kids. She becomes kind of like a the cool aunt to these like local teenagers. And it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic of her personality. Cause you never really saw that before her as like a maternal figure. Um, and again, what's beautiful is that you've seen that character grow and change. One thing I did notice too, as I was reading that Jaime's artwork has gone even more cartoony in the past couple of years. Like it's funny when you read love and rockets and then you read that his biggest influences are Dennis, the menace and Archie comics. And <laughs> that's all you start seeing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's like, I feel like he's leaned into it even more. There's a lot of like really expressive body language, exaggerated facial expressions. Like it's very funny. What, and it's kind of cool to see him kind of just push that even further, given that his artwork has always been so a little bit more realistic in a way, even though it's very simple artwork, it's been more true to life. And here's like cutting loose a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, this current volume of Love and Rockets, uh, I'm, and I'm only talking about the Jaime stuff because you know that's kind of stuff I like more. 
the Gilbert stuff in this issue is good, but uh, what I liked about the Jaime stuff is that there's a story he's been doing in this volume that's not Maggie related. It's kind of different from separate from his main Love and Rockets Locas stories. And it's almost like a mix of like sci-fi and jungle B-movie tropes. It's called Animus and it follows this like evil space queen who lands on this planet and demands all the residents on the planet like worship her as like a space god. And like there's these like other space princesses that have powers that are trying to overthrow her. It's over the top and it's zany. And it's kind of fun to see him do something like that that is like not grounded in the sort of realistic story of Maggie and her friends. It's it's very different. And you can tell this uh, Jaime just loves sci-fi stories. He can kind of do a big story like this. So I couldn't tell exactly what's happening in each installment of the Animus story, but I just kind of fun to see him do something different. So here we are 40 years later, and it's still the best comic being made. So that's, that's a tribute to how much I love Love and Rockets. So I was glad to finally sit down and read the newest issue. I did listen to you the, the episode that you were on for the mm-hmm. comics that we love mm-hmm. also, um, and that was a good time. So... Uh, yeah. Listeners, if you want to hear more, uh, go check that out. <laughs> yes, uh, and I highly recommend jumping into Love and Rockets. It's, it's it's a forty years of worth of comics, but man, it's easy to breeze right through them and read them in big chunks. So, when was the last time that you did like a complete reread? Well, that that's interesting um, because the way that Fantagraphics has kept all that stuff in publication, all of the trades, the paperbacks, are always collected by art author so it's like you can read just the Jaime stuff or just the Gilbert stuff when I bought when I bought that giant uh box set that came out last year this like it must weigh at least 70 pounds this giant like <laughs> hardcover box where they published the first 50 of Love and Rockets they published it in the original format so you'd get like six pages of Jaime six pages of Gilbert so going back I'm going to go back and reread it that way as it was originally published so I'm I'm just starting that now. So the okay, current reread it. is underway. All right. Keep us up, up to date. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. It's very different to read it in the way it was published. Because again, because it's basically a two-person anthology and they're each set telling separate stories, to kind of get little snippets of each side by side is a very different reading experience. So Yeah. There you go. Even if you've read it all, you can always go back and read it again. That's yeah. why it's the best. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the comics in the past. Let's talk about future comics. Comics we're excited to read this upcoming week. Let's start uh, with you. Uh, go back to Kate Lamphere. What are you excited for this week? Yeah, so I'm excited for Nights with the Cat. This is a, a manga, a surprise, <laughs> by Kuru Z. And the last time I was on the podcast, I was I was on with, with Nick talking about manga, and he absolutely insisted that I read this book. So I was like, <laughs> all right, fine, Nick, whatever. Um, and then I put a hold on it, and it's here. Um, but this this is a uh, slice of life story about a guy who just like gets home in the evenings and spend t- spends time with with his cat, and that's what the book is about. Um, and I think that this character and I are going to have a lot in common because I also enjoy spending my evenings with a cat. So um, we're basically the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So Nick, uh, if you're listening, I I'm going to do it. I'm going to read this book. You told me to. So I'm doing my homework. <laughs> Giving into peer pressure. Yep. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nick, yeah, again, one thing, the best thing about doing the show is getting recommendations from other people and stuff that may, maybe would not have heard about. So this actually sounds good. As I said earlier, I think the slice of life, smaller scale manga is kind of more appealing to me. So yeah, check this out, too. Yeah, this does look very cute. It looks like a quick read because like I flipped through it a little bit and there's not a whole lot of dialogue. It's mostly like cute okay. illustrations of this cat. So it'll be quick <laughs> <Nice>. and adorable. <laughs> <laughs> a good palate cleanser, Lovely. maybe after after the Sarah Glidden book. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You need something to yeah reset everything. So yeah. Uh, what about you, Kate? Uh, what's next on your pile? Well, you already picked DC Pride when I got to our planning sheet. So uh, the follow-up is uh, Swim Team by Johnny Christmas, which you're not going to believe this, is a middle grade OGN. Um, (laughs) It came out a year ago, uh, which means that I was just finally able to get it away from all the little children at the local library. Um, It's about a main character, Brie, who is a little African-American girl. She moves to Florida with her dad, who's starting a new job and training program. And that means that she's starting at a new school. And it's named after Enith um, Brigitha, the first black swimmer to earn an Olympic medal. Okay. And Brie ends up uh, very much against her wishes in swimming class um, because all the other electives are already full when she transfers in. And she doesn't know how to swim and is very embarrassed about it and has a lot of anxiety about it, is really afraid of the pool. And this is about her kind of overcoming that fear and anxiety and also learning or being taught and thus the reader being taught in in the process, the history of the racist stereotype about African-Americans being unable to swim and kind of how that all came about through segregation and some of the it does include trigger warning depictions of some of the really awful racist attacks on people mm-hmm. on people using swimming pools um, during the segregation movement and protests and stuff like that. Um, okay. So, but again, at a middle grade level, and but anyway, I'm really excited for this. Uh, full disclosure: I did start it last night because I oh, didn't okay. have anything else on my book stand, so I'm only a little <laughs> ways in. But it's so good so far, and I really can't wait to read the rest of this. Um, nice. And I have it from good authorities, like a one Kate Lamphere, that it is a good read. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, that sounds interesting. Um, How about you, Paul? Um, well, you already kind of spoiled it. Uh, but before <laughs> I get to my pick, uh, we do have some people here in the chat with us. Listening live on Discord. So Danny is going to be reading Batman number 136. I'll probably be reading that too. Pretty close to the top of my pile, obviously. Uh, Hugh is excited for X-Men. Before the fall, Mutant Strike, Mutant First Strike number one. That's quite a tongue twister of a title there. And then uh, Paul G is going to be reading Foul Brood numbers three and four. That looks like a Kickstarter comic they backed. So as for me, I did pick up the DC Pride uh, 2023 collection. You know, DC has been doing this past couple years. Every June, publish a little anthology highlighting uh, LGBTQ plus characters and creators. And I, you know, I was kind of thinking, like, you know, I'll just. They usually put them up on Hoopla at some point, so like, I'll just wait and you know read it down the road. And then I saw it at the stand of the comic shop, picked it up, and noticed the first story in it it was written by Grant Morrison um, and illustrated by Hayden Sherman. It's like, oh well, I should probably pick this up because it's probably. As far as I know, Morrison's last work for DC, you know, I think they at this point pretty much stopped writing for DC, gone on to do their own, create their own projects. And it's a Green Lantern story. And I actually really liked Morrison's Green Lantern run that they did a couple years ago. So, and I really like the artwork too. I mean, Sherman's artwork does remind me of Chris Burnham and uh, Frank Quitely. And so that kind of art style works with Grant Morrison's stories really well. So admittedly, that's why I picked it up. But I'm always like to support these kind of projects. I like that DC's been doing this and they usually have a good lineup of creators that whose work I'm not really that familiar with, you know, either they don't always do big two comics or, you know, they're just kind of getting started a little bit newer and highlighting characters. I don't see very often. So 
I like to support these kind of projects. And obviously it's Pride Month, so that's a good excuse to kind of pick it up and uh, you know, support it that way. So and obviously Kate, you were excited to pick it up too. Did you actually pick up a copy? Uh no, I need to go to my local shop still. I am going down there, I think, Monday. Okay. Nice. Um, I can just picture you going to the shop and just like walking by the kids section, just elbowing the kids out of the way. Like, let me at those <laughs> yep, yep. middle grade it's, books. It's convenient. <laughs> Their faces are like right at elbow level. So you just wham, wham. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we endorse violence in any form, but still, uh, it's no. <laughs> no, you see, my problem is a good friend is a K through 12 librarian whose favorite genre oh, okay. is middle grade. And so I get yeah. just all the really solid middle grade recs from her and she gotcha. does not miss. So I listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, yeah. So uh, and then you tell us about them. Then I got to go track them down. So uh-huh, that's, that's uh-huh. how it goes. Yeah. Sometimes um, you just need feel good books. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back about a book that is not a feel-good book. So uh, (laughs) we'll be back shortly. We want to talk a little bit about Nice House on the Lake. So we'll probably a little spoiler conversation after the break about that. So back shortly. Welcome back to the episode. Uh, as we were talking about what to talk about for this episode, we kind of like started off thinking about just doing a no topic, talking about what we've read. But then one of the Kates mentioned that they had just finished reading Nice House on the Lake, which is one of my favorite comics from last year. So I thought it'd be nice to maybe do a little discussion about that. Maybe some minor spoilers, but that is a book that I think works best if you kind of don't know what's going on and let it unfold in front of you. But um, I have to apologize. I don't remember which Kate suggested talking about this so oh. who wants to step up and take take responsibility twas i oh twas okay I set the house of flame this. yes right, um but we're only going to talk about volume one and okay. keep it spoiler free or try. Um, but yeah. i did i yes i did i did read the full two volumes uh they're all on hoopla now for mm-hmm. those of you who abide uh but it's so good i I when when Kate said she only read volume one, I was like, "How did you stop? That <laughs> is crazy to me." Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I ran out of time. Uh, is the answer? <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. I, um, I also had trouble checking it out. Like, I was trying. I thought that I had it on Humble Bundle, and that wasn't it. And then I tried to get it on Hoopla, and it wouldn't download. And so I ended up just <laughs> buying a digital copy of this. But I'm not mad about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah, to start the conversation, if you've not read it yet, The Nice House on the Lake came out, I think it started in 2021, maybe late that year. And, you know, I was reading it month to month when it was coming out. Uh, it's a series from DC, kind of like a horror series. So not a superhero comic, but kind of like a horror suspense story written by James Tinian IV, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, and colors by Jordi Belair. And right off the gate, I say it's one of the best looking books I've read in recent memory. It's there yes. the artwork that Bueno does. It's it's painterly, but kind of like sketchy, but also very realistic. It's a very distinct looking book, which fits the tone perfectly, I thought. Yeah, it is beautiful, beautiful. It was interesting. I read the first one in physical um, okay. from my library when it first was released in um, the trade paperback came out in 2022. Then I read volume two on Hoopla since my library doesn't have a copy yet of the physical. And you know how with guided view, it like zooms you in on things that weren't meant to be seen and like blown up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I, I did realize how much stuff is just like sketchy detail in the background versus like as distinct. You really don't realize it, but it made me appreciate the art so much more um, in just how how skilled that is to have so much of the kind of background or smaller frames actually not be that filled in, but to right. not see that as the viewer. It really makes you focus on what they want you to focus on um, with the view. And because some parts of it are incredibly detailed and realistic, um, sometimes horrifyingly realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I purposely turned off guided feel. I was like, no, this is this is not a book for this. Mm -hmm. But I will say one thing I loved uh, reading on digital was it makes the colors absolutely pop. Right. It's one of those books yeah. that's just gorgeous on the lit screen. Mm -hmm. That's something interesting because I feel like that's becoming more and more common. There's a lot of comics that if I buy physically, because that's kind of how I read most of my stuff. Yeah. Certain books and certain colorists, I look at like, I kind of want to check this out digitally when I can just to see how different it looks. Because if you're calling things digitally, you have that in mind for yeah. the digital like e-reading. So stuff can look a little bit muted on the page that really pop well, on the screen. You know, especially DC, for whatever reason, didn't give them glossy pages in the trade paperbacks. They are that right. matte pages, which yep. I don't think does Jordi Belair's colors on this justice. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I have noticed that how many books I'm buying do have that sort of matte finish on the paper. Now. I don't know if that's a supply issue or just a conscious issue that they're doing, but it does make the colors read very differently. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, a like non um, there's a person that you see whose face does not look human uh, at one point. <laughs> and I like I am enchanted by how how that was done, because like there it, there's no like real form to it. There's no like outline. Um, there's not really a shape. And yet like you you can see the, the pieces of a face in it, like eyes, mouth, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, but like it's it's not a head anymore. It's and... best described as a flesh tornado. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just, just just like I feel like a lot of skill went into this. Um, like trying to figure out how this is going to look, and then like it looks it looks different every time you see it. Like you don't just see it right. once. Um, and like the fact that they could do that kind of look multiple times in multiple different ways is like, mm -hmm. wow. Um, I am, I am delighted and enchanted and absolutely horrified by this, um, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> the know, goal. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the way I interpreted that is it's almost like that character is like a, almost like a higher dimensional being. It's like, you know, yeah. our brains as a reader can't understand or the other characters can't understand what they're looking at. So it just looks so like disturbing. Um, uh, do you want someone to give like a quick elevator pitch so people know oh. what we're actually talking about? Yeah. Okay. So I, I did write a little bit of a synopsis. Um, this yeah. does. There's there's like minor spoilers in this, I guess. Like the first couple of sure. issues, maybe. But I, I I left off the end. So, um, so there's a lot of mystery here. So you should go and read it. <laughs> um, okay. So, a man named Walter invites eleven of his closest friends to a nice house on a lake. Shocking. Um, they are like writers, artists, reporters, and so on. They're very good in their fields. Soon the guests see reports of a disaster in the world and it appears everyone else has died. Um, they all react in different ways and they try to untangle the mystery of this house and this land. Why is it special? Why were they unharmed? They discover invisible walls around the lake, a doorless building, and many unusual like geometric statues. Everything they need is delivered to them mysteriously and they occasionally glimpse Walter, who no longer looks human. Right. So that's the character we're talking about that, you know. Yeah. 
looks like a flesh tornado. And then when that <laughs> reveal happens, you know, it's it's still striking. Just again, as we said, the artwork is so lovely. So even if you know it's coming, like it's still a striking image. And, you know, I think it's sold as a horror story. And I think it, it does have those elements of suspense and mystery, but it's a lot more complex than that. It's not, you know, it's not a, like a gory, like horror story about a monster or something. It's almost like psychological kind of horror. It's like, yeah, as he, because people try to figure out why exactly they're saved and what's going on and the mystery of the house. And, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's a lot more complex than just being scary, I guess. I would have, if I was to pitch this to someone, I would bill it as more of a sci-fi mystery than I mm -hmm. would horror. But I definitely see where people get the horror elements, particularly the imagery of what's going on in the world outside of this enclosure. Yeah. And the flesh tornado. And one thing, <laughs> in addition to the beauty of said flesh tornado and like how interesting it is that they make us like be able to even see his and understand his expression within that like mm -hmm. weirdness. Yes is that Tinian somehow made me empathize with the Flesh Tornado, <laughs> and which doesn't seem like it should be possible, but yeah. he did it, and that is just crazy. Um, <laughs> and this gets back to the whole thing with like Tom King of like, they're so good at telling these stories where it isn't just black and white, and mm -hmm. you can see things from multiple characters' points of view and why one person sees something as horrifying and extremely unethical and wrong and someone else thinks it's actually they're doing the right thing and that that conflict between those two characters and you understand both sides and there's not an easy clear cut yes or no and then you're like i need middle grade this is too complicated yeah. <laughs> like, give me give me the easy but no this is my yeah. favorite series by far of the last two years it's incredible agreed yeah and i think um what makes it so engaging is the fact that the story is like unfolds as you go along so it's like mm -hmm. you can get the high concept like we could we kind of told you what the the high concept of the story is it's a group of survivors but they don't know what's going on and you as a reader don't really get that sort of omniscient narrator telling you what's right. going on either you're kind of uncovering it as they go along there's a lot of weird things that happen on that island or at, on the house on the lake you know there's a lot mm -hmm. of strange circumstances they're trying to wrap their brains around it they're all very smart people with very different approaches to it which i thought kind of made it work they're not like some of them have had known each other in the past but they're all related by knowing walter individually so it's like why are we here why are we the ones and that what's what makes it the sort of mystery that is, it unfolds it reminded me in a way of like the early seasons of lost where they're trying to understand why they're there what the island yeah. is what's behind it kind mm -hmm. of getting more of it like it's and no surprise has a pull quote from one of the lost people on the book, um, because that's definitely <laughs> yeah. like, if you like that, check this book out for sure. Yeah. But I agree. I really like the storytelling, how it we it's told through every every issue starts with a flash forward. But then mm -hmm. we also have then we go to like present day, but we also have flashbacks where we're learning more about how. Walter actually met and became friends with these different people and why they were, or kind of the circumstances around their selection, if you will. And we learn yeah. more about who these people are, not in their actions in present day, which are telling, but are showing them in like a, obviously a very unique and stressful circumstance, but kind of mm -hmm. who they were in the before times. So I don't think I've seen a book do it, do this as well in comics of having flashbacks, flash forwards, and present day without it being confusing and disorienting right I, Tinian is a very good great writer and i think 
not only do he's able to do that, he also like manages a pretty big cast of characters. And there are, yes. there are times where I kind of like might lose track of who's who, but through the dialogue and through their actions, kind of easy to figure out, you know, as you go through the story. Yeah. But to have a story that is a mystery, but it's almost more character driven than a lot of mysteries you read, because the way the characters interact with each other, there are some characters that are like, this is great, you know, we survived this house gives us everything we need that's maybe a minor spoiler there's something where like oh we can kind of live it up now and other people like no we have to find out what's going on everyone's coming out with a different angle you know it's not just like a group of random people you kind of get to know each character really well throughout the series it would have been really helpful for me to know that there was a glossary in the back of the book before I read it. The, I was going to say, this: the number of characters is the reason that I don't think I could have read this single issue, that yeah. it was really yeah. helpful to read them all together and to keep track of everyone and also to have that glossary at the back that shows each character like artistically and then has a description. Yeah. And then the fact that they are like, they're kind of labeled at the very beginning of the book as like the writer, mm -hmm. the artist, the reporter, etc. They all have different mm -hmm. professions um, or different things that they are labeled as in any case. And like there are there are times when you when they are referred to in the book by those labels rather than their names. So you kind of have to remember mm -hmm. two things about each character and then eventually you learn how they're connected to Walter and remembering that is also helpful. So yeah, there's like a lot of information in this book. Like I don't think I did read this quickly and I feel like I should have, I should have, I should have uh, budgeted my time better <laughs> and started <laughs> earlier and like, um, yeah, I read this a little bit more slowly and like bookmarked the glossary. Um. <laughs> One of the other standouts to me in this series is the architecture, like the interior design and architecture work of this gorgeous mid-century modern house that this is set in on yeah. the, that is the nice house on the lake. Right. It is <laughs> so beautiful. And I think in so many ways, like the absolute perfect setting for this, because one aspect of mid-century modern is all these huge windows and like walls of windows and lot to get lots of natural light. Mm -hmm. And that works so like, A, it's realistic just for the setting in the lake. Like it is not out of place as one of these, you know, bazillionaires houses on a private lake like that. Many of them are mm -hmm. these fancy mid-century modern houses. But then also that becomes that um, aesthetic of all the glass windows and kind of mirrors and stuff and then all the kind of stark, cold, clean um, lines of the furniture and stuff like that mm. really adds to the story in interesting ways that um, play into kind of more and more what's going on and um, as they sort of figure out what they're doing here and why and I thought that was a really interesting choice um, yeah. and also just really liked looking at it. So pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you cannot oversell what a nice looking book this is. Like, our, yeah. it's one of those books like, you know, I have all the single issues, you know, I should go back and read it as a go, maybe digitally, but having a nice oversized hardcover mm -hmm. would be really nice at some point. Just telling you, DC. I was you hoping that too. They So now we have the first two volumes. This is an ongoing series. So this the first two volumes are the first cycle of the book. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping that DC gives us a nice hardcover of the first 12 issues. Because yeah. I was debating buying the paperbacks, but the paperbacks are $20 a piece for this non-glossy paper. I would gladly pay more for a hardcover with better print quality if, for sure. if they give it to us. Of course, sure. knowing DC, they'll be like, give us $75. Okay. Fine. It is that good, though. And I get, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. the architecture because that is something like, you know, if you sell it as a horror 
story you know in your mind you maybe think of like maybe it's like this gothic like haunted house no it's it's this beautiful like glass house like on this gorgeous lake and it's like there's nothing really like dark or scary about it physically you know it's the the psychological aspect of the story is dark and scary but the actual place they're in it's like it's beautiful and yeah. um it does kind of remind me um very tangentially, but it does kind of remind me of, of Glass Onion in that sense where it's like, all right, all these random people are together. There's a mystery someone's trying to figure out. Why are they all there? Um, obviously, Glass Onion is more comedic take on that, but this is kind of the more serious, uh, dramatic take. But yeah, you're making me want to go back and reread it. Because again, reading it month <laughs> to month was such a, dis- a different experience. And I, it's weird. I really love reading monthly comics because a good writer and a good artist will like hit the beats perfectly. Like an issue will end. It's like, well, shit, I cannot wait another month for that. But like kind of <laughs> yeah. like, I like that experience. Like, damn, that was so good. And then it makes you excited to get the next issue. Yeah. As, you know, and like it's a, it's a different, it's a double-edged sword. Cause like, yeah, it was like, all right, that was such a good 22 pages of story. Makes me excited, a big cliffhanger, but I got to wait a month, you know? So it's, uh, I kind of like that dynamic. And I think Tinian's a good writer and like, he's very good at hitting those moments exactly where they need to be in the story to keep you engaged month to month. It is only three ninety nine on Kindle right now. If you want the digital, like to own and have and keep. There you go. There you go. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Is the humble bundle still going that has it, Kate? Or was that from, uh, I don't think it was on humble bundle at all. Oh, okay. I thought you mentioned Humble Bundle. I'm sorry. Um, there, well, I I thought that this was an Image book, not a DC book, and I've bought like four, or five Image Humble Bundles. So I was it like, it reads like an gotcha. Image book. Yeah, like 100 <laughs> percent does. Mm-hmm. It's the DC Black Label, which I know nothing about. I don't know if that's yeah. something that you're more familiar with, Paul. Yeah, I mean the well. That might be a topic for another episode at some point, but the black label was um, <laughs> unpack that uh, initially. It, it 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 eventually became sort of a thing where like these are the stories that don't they're out of continuity stories. We can do a bit darker stories. They can do non superhero stuff. Um, it didn't start out that way, and that's again a topic for another time. But the fact that it is sort of a horror comic, and I think there was a period where DC was trying to branch out a little bit and kind of do non superhero stuff. And Tinian was a writer that, you know, had pretty long history with DC writing Batman. Um, So, I mean, it's pretty well established there. Kind of gave him carte blanche to do this type of story. I like it when big two publishers do stuff like this, you know, to do stuff that's outside of the big universe, you know, and do something a little uncommon. I don't think they sell that well, which is why you don't see many of them. But I think it's a good example of one that landed because it it gets rave, rave reviews. Everyone that's read this book been praising it we've praised it on the show in the past we're doing an episode right now talking about it so yeah if you've not checked it out yet what are you waiting for get on it um yeah so that's nice house on the lake is there anything else you've read recently since this is kind of a free form no topic episode anything else you want to highlight for the uh, listeners there that uh, you'd recommend i accidentally read another dc book i know this is like so outside the lines for me this past two weeks have just been really weird of all these Uh accidental dc grabs so the new comic shelf at my local library had far sector by nk jemison which i had not heard of i just saw nk jemison and went oh cool and it wasn't until i got home that i realized that this is a um DC book for Green Lantern with Jamal Campbell mm-hmm. uh, illustrating. It is gorgeous. Again, yeah. like the art is fantastic. And we do get the glossy pages in this. Um, <laughs> the trade has all 12 issues. And so I accidentally jumped into a Green Lantern story, but it 
is done so well because I would absolutely recommend this to other non-Green Lantern reading readers because you really mm-hmm. don't need to know much about them other than they have these magic rings. But even then, the story tells you that. Like, it's very much a book made for non-Green Lantern readers um, and self-contained where a newly chosen Green Lantern named Joe Mullen is um, sent to the city Enduring, which is this kind of... Um, human constructed planets out in space. Um, uh, It's a massive metropolis of like 20 billion people. And they've maintained peace for over 500 years by uh, genetically removing the ability of their citizens to have any emotions. Um, And if you don't have emotions, you make logical decisions like not breaking the law, apparently, which is a leap, I think, um, because it turns out it's very (laughs) logical. Like the whole saying that crime doesn't pay... uh, not true. Crime pays well. That's why people do it. Um, it just doesn't pay if you get caught. Uh, right, <laughs> so, right. um, like, uh, yeah. But anyway, that that premise aside, like, she's sent there to help with this as they have their first murder in like 500 years, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" And it soon becomes uh, comes out that there is this uh, street drug that essentially overrides this genetic block on emotions, and people are quote unquote, like getting high by taking this and feeling emotions for the first time. And it goes on to be, it's a 12 issue detective mystery series. So I don't want to go too down into the plot because it you want to go in cold, but it is very much, it reads to me more like a Batman story in that sense of like the Batman that sure. I've read was the old Scott Snyder, like new 52 books. And mm-hmm. um, it reads very much to me like the Court of Owls where it's like each issue you're getting more into like they're going to talk to now this section of people and this they're going over here to get more info from this it is very interesting in that sense it gets into the politics between the three species that all inhabit this metropolis and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of parallels made and flashbacks to her time on earth as a police officer and um the use of um guns and lethal lethal force um on earth in terms of law enforcement and Mm -hmm what is happening here paralleled with like discrimination and bias on earth. I thought it was done in such a good way that it's not particularly heavy handed. It doesn't like detract from the story. Like you could, you don't end up feeling like you're reading a moral parable tale versus like a DC comic. You're still definitely reading a superhero comic Mm -hmm. uh, with lots of action and fun and um, cool stuff. But it has more of kind of a point to it, I guess, is like you don't also feel like you're eating like the cotton candy of reeds that's like just fun and nothing to it. <laughs> yeah, um, for but sure. sugar. So mm-hmm. um I I really enjoyed it. Have you guys read this one? <laughs> yes. I raved about this on the show when I was reading it. Uh so uh I was reading it again month to month when it was coming out. One of my favorite books that that particular year. Um and I think we may have stumbled upon the the uh, unintentional theme of this episode, Kate. You are coming out <laughs> as a DC fan. It's happening. Happy Pride Month! Exactly. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I mean, this book again, like Nice House on the Lake, is a book that you don't have to know anything about the DC universe yeah. to pick up. You know, you didn't even know it was a Green Lantern story until you started reading it, and even then, it's you. You tell you they tell you everything you need to know about the Green Lanterns in that book. Yep. You don't need to know anything about. Hal Jordan or anybody else. And it's a book that's, you know, on the surface, yeah, it's a superhero book because it's Green Lanterns. But again, as you said, it's a sci-fi story. You know, it's a, it's a mystery story. And like all 
sort of good science fiction, it's reflection of our time. When you get to the points yep. when they're talking about police brutality and excessive excessive force, you know, I'm reading that and when it's coming out in the year 2020, it's like, yeah, this is hitting right now what's happening. This is not about yeah. the future. It's about right now. It's a fantastic book. And much, again, a nice parallel to Nice House on the Lake. I remember buying this issue, issue to issue, month to month physically and thinking, I bet these colors pop so much harder digitally because it's such a beautifully colored book. Yeah, I don't know. I did read this in, in the physical copy from my library, yeah. but um, they are, were nice glossy pages, which I assume okay. the comic was too. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, I bet you're right that this would be a really nice book on digital. So yeah, that that's interesting. I'm glad you picked these two books. I mean, they're books that I, I absolutely adored. And I think uh, if you've not checked them out yet, if you're listening to the show, you're getting the highest possible recommendation. Someone who doesn't even like DC comics is telling you to buy <laughs> these DC comics. It's true. So, yeah. <laughs> and as someone who is a lifelong DC fan, I think they're great too. So they, they appeal to both audiences. So um, I don't know. I think that I think I'm glad we stumbled upon an unintentional theme for this episode. I don't know. Uh, Kate, <laughs> Lam Fears, anything else you wanted to add? Have you you've said you've not read Far Sector yet, correct? I have not read Far Sector yet. Um, okay. You're definitely <laughs> convincing me to read it. It has been on my to read list for a while, but uh, I think it moved up. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, I, I'm just a dumb guy that reads comics, and we're hearing other <laughs> people who have read other M. N. K. Jemison stuff. They they adore their work. So you know, they're the sci-fi novels that they have written are just as great. And like, cool. Yep. If there's no pictures, I might be a tough sell, but uh, it's. <laughs> I have recommended this comic to people who have read their other works. So I think uh, if you like sci-fi in any capacity, you can enjoy this book. Yeah. Well, cool. I I think. I've, I think we've stumbled upon a theme. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, unless anyone's ha anyone has any final thoughts. Okay. I guess that means we're all going to uh, take off now and uh, go read some comics. Maybe go to the beach, read some comics. That's always yeah. fun. Enjoy the nice weather here in the summer. Um, I want to say uh, that we'll be back next week. I'll be back in the host chair again. Michael, I'll still be in the Savage Land, I'm assuming, but I'll be joined by Brian and Paloma. And we're going to be talking about blockbuster comic movies, not the movies themselves, but the adaptations. So we'll be picking some comic adaptations of blockbuster films to talk about since it's blockbuster movie season here in the summer. Um, if you enjoy the show, of course, you can find us all over on social media at IRCB Podcast. That's Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads, YouTube. We've got a YouTube page. You can list the full shows over there. Uh, all over the internet at IRCB Podcasts, including Patreon. You can support us on Patreon to get exclusive audio shows like uh, Better Batmobile that I host and The Movie Club that I also host, I guess, and other stuff that I'm not on. That is at patreon.com <laughs> slash IRCB Podcasts. Infinity Shred are the best band in the known universe and they do all of the music for our shows. Xander is the name that strikes fear into the hearts of evildoers everywhere. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Danny, for proof listening. Thank you for listening. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Mm -hmm.